Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What do you hunger for as a Christian? What are you thirsty for as a Christian? Some might say, uh, I desire uh, to be happy uh, in the Lord, uh, to have joy in Him, regardless of the circumstances. Others might say, desire an experience of the Spirit's presence, an experience of His power. I want to be a better witness that would satisfy some hunger. All of those things are good. And they all, in some ways, might relate to our text, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And yet the progression here is very clear in the Beatitudes. Jesus says, first of all, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. You are destitute. You are without resources on your own. You know it. You feel it. It hurts. And you come humbly to God. And yet you come mourning. Uh, we read, we sang something, an interesting phrase uh, in, in this hymn, uh, for that, in that second verse, there is an inward smart. Did you pick up on that? Inward smart? I don't think that's talking about an intelligence. I think that's talking about a sting. That, that we mourn and it stings in our heart. It smarts in our heart because we've sinned against God. But it bears fruit. We are now humble before God, and we are meek, humble before God, and we are gentle in our relationship with others. We have been humble. And now we are ready. Now we are ready, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That's what will satisfy me. Hungry and thirsty. For righteousness. Uh, Ferguson, uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, and I think uh, accurately, that this word righteousness has to do with conforming to a norm. Righteousness is, is matching up to, it is, it is becoming um, a like or conforming to the norm that is God's righteousness and God's holiness. We long for a right relationship with God. We long to be approved as righteous. That's, we hunger for that. And there's two ways that we appropriate, appropriate that as believers. First, the imputed righteousness of Christ. And as much as we love to talk about that, that's not enough. But that imputed righteousness of Christ, we properly make much of Christ's righteousness that is credited to us by faith. And by His grace, that gift of righteousness is imputed to us because He alone is the one who conforms perfectly to the norm of God's holiness. And through His substitutionary death, we, we gain the forgiveness of our sins, but we can't stop there. God's work in us includes justification, but it also includes a conversion, a conversion, a renewing of our heart. We become new people. And therefore, those who, who have and know this imputed righteousness show the imparted righteousness that comes through the work of the Spirit. 
not self-generated, but coming from Christ. The transforming spirit imparts righteousness. righteousness. He builds it in so we can work it out. There's a desire to please the one who has died for you. You are new creation. And as such, his righteousness is exactly what you want. We are to seek, as the Sermon on the Mount goes on to say, seek after God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As we've just recited the short catechism number 35, there is a, on what is sanctification, key to this is that it is a work of God, it's an ongoing work of God, and it is a work of renewal. Uh, You have become a new person, but you are becoming a new person as well. There is a definitive break with change, we call that definitive sanctification, but there is a progressive sanctification as well, where that holiness wrought by Christ is transforming us, making us new people more and more. I, I love this quote uh, from uh, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones on, on this passage. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of a, the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is uh, uh, to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or are you content with the imputed righteousness of Christ, reckoned to your account but not worked into your life? We are drawn to the example of of Jesus, also drawn to his power in John 4, verse 34, where Jesus said this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. This is my food. This is what I live for. This empowers me. This is what draws me to do the will of him who sent me. Now, most of us would not want to miss a meal. Christ wouldn't want to miss a part of any of the conforming of righteousness. He had to do it. He wanted to do it. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness to face the temptation, Mark tells us. Was there anything fun about that translation, about that temptation? Was there anything fun about going to the cross where he was mocked and scorned and where his hands received the nails? But he was able to say, it is for the joy set before me that I willingly and even gladly do this. It's what I hunger for. It's what I really want. He took that long view and he endured the cross. And so uh, you and I can take a long view in our own sanctification. And we are willing then and desiring to do even painful things, hard things, but obedient things for the glory of God. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But, but hear, hear this. What is the blessed part? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. 
what will they receive? They will be satisfied. But satisfied with what? You, as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you are satisfied with that for what you hunger. For, for that for which you thirst. You are satisfied for the glory of God in performing righteousness for his glory. Your list of things that you would really like to have as part of the Christian that you may have thought of even at the beginning of this message, they are often thrown in. But they are byproducts of this, the glorious satisfaction of having what you desire, your desire for righteousness fulfilled. That is for certain. If you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you are changing. Your growth in holiness is certain. He who began a good work in you will finish the job. The biggest change, perhaps, is that you really do want righteousness. You want a heart that wants God. You will be satisfied with what you desire. But you will also be dissatisfied with your own righteousness. Uh, you are thankful for change. Some of the biggest compliments I've gotten from friends, and certainly from my own wife, is, is, is man, you have changed. Long ways to go. But to hear that is, is simply to give praise to God. We are thankful for change, but it is never enough. We want more. And the more you grow in holiness, the more you see that you need to grow. And so today's dissatisfaction spurs you to hunger and thirst for more and more. You live being satisfied, but you are still unsatisfied longing for more. One of the great questions that this, this verse raises to us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One of the great questions that arises out of this verse is, is how can you grow in your desire for holiness? How do, you, how do you do that? How do you grow in your desire for righteousness? I want to I highlight three things. You grow in your desire for righteousness by, first of all, soaking up, drinking in, absorbing through the scriptures, uh, soaking up the beauty and goodness of God. There is no shortcut here, people. You don't just tweak something a little bit and change your behavior, not for long. You must be persuaded, and so I call you to soak up the beauty and the goodness of God. This year we've been speaking much of the goodness of God in the series Gentle and Lowly. Uh, God is good. There is no lingering resentment in Him. There is no holding out of the good things that He has for you. Um, he doesn't give you hard things to make you suffer. He doesn't give you hard things because he is resentful of you. He wills only for your good. 
And that is one of the things that helps us see in the struggle against sin, that always and always his commands are good. They are not arbitrary. His commands are good. They often seem hard because of our fearful and willful hearts. But his holiness is beautiful and his obedience is good for you. And disobeying God is neither wise nor safe. And so I encourage you, soak up the beauty of God. Turn with me back to Psalm 116. And I can still hear the echoes of of, uh, of Al Grieber's uh, voice as I, every time I read Psalm 116 he preached on this some years ago here just the first couple of verses the theme here now people is to, is to, um, is to soak in the goodness and the beauty of God verses 1 and 2 Psalm 116 I love the Lord I love him because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. I love the Lord because of who he is. And the great thing about God that I see right now is that he hears my prayers of desperation. He is a father whose ears are bent towards me to hear what I'm saying. My voice, he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He's inclined his ear to me, therefore, because I know I have a prayer hearing God, therefore, I call on him as long as I live. The words of Luke um, uh, 13 echo in my mind that he grants gladly, he grants the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So friends, what is your hard thing that God is calling you to do that seems out of reach and you've stopped hungering for it because it seems out of reach? Another way to ask that question is what are your self-indulgent thoughts? If you are a Christian, uh, then you are clean. And the first thing and the most important thing for you to ask the Lord for in Psalm 116 language, is Lord, let me know the forgiveness of sins. You will not change without knowing the forgiveness of sins. Not just being forgiven from Calvary, but, but knowing it, having your heart set free, having your heart liberated by the mercy of forgiveness, the cleansing, the conscience that is no longer burdened by your failures. How often things from the past uh, still capture our memories. And when you get that, when you get the forgiveness of sins like that, you can't stop wanting to change. So soak up the beauty and goodness of God. Starting with the grace of the gospel. Your father hears you. He forgives you. His ear is inclined to you in your suffering. And when you know that he hears you and has forgiven you and is with you, you can't stop wanting change. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. 
identifying the deceitfulness of your sinful desires. Why I point this out is because in Ephesians chapter 4, we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ and to put off and put on, uh, put off our, our evil deeds and put on deeds of righteousness. But those evil deeds are described or modified by this phrase, the deceitfulness of sin. The de- sin is by its nature deceitful. And so we must get a grip on what are what is the particular uh, deceitfulness of our sinful desires. Now, what what are your favorite junk foods? What what what's your favorite junk foods? Gail and I have a, a weekly ritual uh, of, of uh, tortilla chips and um, and pine nut hummus, and, and that's that's. It, the salt and the it's really good. It wouldn't be good as a steady diet. But it's, 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 it's a fake, man. And then there's chocolate chip cookies. Not hard ones, but soft ones. Soft chocolate. And then ice cream, I suppose you'd have to call it the perfect food. I mean, these... What are your junk foods? What are your preferences? See, they, they look really good, and going down they taste really good, but in excess, they're not good at all. And I've told you before that I have on my, one of my prayer cards that I look at several times a week a reminder about, about the deceitfulness of sin, and I put it this way, fatty foods are heavy and gross. Those words in my prayer card. I remember it. Look at the fatty foods are heavy and gross. I have to say that because I forget it. Because I like it. You see, the Spirit changes your taste for righteousness. The Spirit um, persuades you of the distastefulness of unrighteousness as you see the deceitfulness of sin. Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the clearest places in all of Scripture that tell us that, that sexual immorality is, is seductive, it's alluring, but it'll bite you. And it'll kill you eventually. Same thing is true, though, for sin in general. One of the one of the things that uh, I, I have been struggling with myself as I as I consider this okay identifying identifying a sin and seeing the deceitfulness of it because that's where we're going identifying a sin and seeing the deceitfulness of it so that we can run from it and run to righteousness and one of the things that that I and others whom I talk with these days uh, also struggle with is the habit of jumping to conclusions. You hear a little bit, or you just make up some some narrative about the, about someone's problem, and, and this is as natural as breathing for us. We jump to judgment. We we draw um, conclusions. We make judgments about other people's motives. We look at the clothes they wear. We look at the kind of person they are. We look at listen to how they talk, and we can build a narrative about what kind of person they are and who they really are. And like junk food that tastes good and goes down smooth because we are nourishing ourselves on our pride, not upon 
Jesus. And that's why the junk food of jumping to conclusions tastes good. But what is the opposite of that? What is the sin to which we are to aspire? And that is a charitable judgment. A charitable looking at things in a positive light about this other person. Assuming the best, putting the best construction on something that is said, and, and not putting, jumping to those conclusions. You see, when you are feeding not on criticism but on grace, your heart will be tenderized and you will be set free from the compulsion to judge. And you will glorify God. And you will make the people around you happier. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So every time you're tempted to knowingly disobey God, there is a better path and a wiser one. Grow in your desire for righteousness by soaking up the beauty and goodness of God. Grow in your desire for righteousness by identifying the deceitfulness of your sinful desires, putting them to death, and pursuing a life of holiness. And third, grow in your desire for righteousness by choosing righteousness before you feel it. Choosing righteousness before you feel it. We are so used to gratifying our flesh. We um, may not um, hunger much for righteousness. We may never want to get started. (laughs) And it is a great thing uh, that sometimes our hearts do go before our feet. Do you know what I'm saying about that? Our hearts do go before our feet. We do hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we walk out obedience and joyful obedience uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He works in us a hunger and a desire for righteousness. We know the right thing to do and then we do it. But sometimes, in fact often, um, we, uh, our feet need to go before the heart. Our feet need to go before the heart. Um, That is, doing the right thing uh, before we actually desire it. We must challenge our our foolishness, and we must say God's way is better. It is harder, but it is better. But we do, for example, that act of kindness, even when we're not feeling that way towards that person, we do that act of kindness, and your heart warms up towards God and that other person. Um, In obeying, your sanctification is is jump-started. It receives a jolt. In your obeying, your sanctification is jolted. Why is that? Why is that the case? An act of obedience, even when you don't want to, and you might say especially when you don't want to, is an act of humility. It is already a bending of the will towards God. It is a bending of your will towards God. And so the Spirit already in your choice to obey, even though your heart's not in it or fully in it, in your choice to obey, the Spirit animates that. The Spirit begins to change your heart. And and the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Take 
that status. Humble yourself, and God gives grace. Remember Lloyd Jones's quote. Because this verse, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Is that a precious verse for you? Or is that an annoyance? Or something you can't understand or relate to? Do you, do you hunger for righteousness? Do you want to be holy? Or do you want to want to be holy? Love the Lord uh, because He hears you today. He, he hears your plea for mercy. He inclines His ear uh, to you. So come. Come to your Savior. Um, spiritually broke, spiritually destitute, and drink of His grace. Maybe you've never done that before. But drink of grace today. Let's pray. Lord, we do humble ourselves before you this day. We, we, we want this beatitude, this attitude, this disposition of hungering and thirsting for you and for righteousness. We want it to characterize our lives. Humble us. Humble us. So that we become meek towards you, gentle towards others, and hungry to live for your glory in the way of righteousness. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We, we couldn't look at a passage like this apart from your ministry, apart from the confidence that you have us on a journey moving towards more and more that righteousness that will one day be ours in its entirety in the new heaven and the new earth. We pray these things full of gratitude. Amen.